The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah chapter 62. Very blessed to be able to participate in worship out at Little Vine Church in Austin this weekend. And the message yesterday morning that touched on these verses really struck a strong chord in my heart. And we pray that the Lord will bless us to, for me to really just stir your mind. Stir your mind. Uh, for us to meditate together on just how much God loves us. Mm -hmm. Just how much God loves us. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. The Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all thy kings thy glory. Thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married." For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God <coughs> rejoice over thee. Many of the prophecies in the Old Testament are speaking of events that happened in natural Israel with physical people and the physical nation that the Lord chose out. And we know because of their sin, they forsook uh, 70 Sabbath rests of the land. Uh, they ignored that commandment of the Lord for 490 years. And because of that, the Lord sent them into Babylonian exile for 70 years. Uh, each of those years that they omitted it, he gave the land rest because his people wouldn't give the land rest. But every time that the Lord called on them to repent, every time that he sent the prophet Jeremiah or all these other prophets, even in the message where he was calling on his people to repent, he always promised restoration. Always. And in a natural sense, in a natural sense, uh, they went into exile in, uh, in the culmination in 586 B.C. You had the, the destruction of Jerusalem the destruction of the temple. And in that sense, in a natural sense, the, um, the natural nation of Israel was forsaken and desolate. But then there came a time and there were three exiles and then there were three returns. And you had uh, multiple people that the Lord used to uh, rebuild the, the wall and then rebuild the temple. And uh, there came a time where the Lord came and dwelt with them again in that land um, there in the temple. And 
they had, at least for a period of time, a renewed sense of the fellowship with Jehovah God that they used, that they previously had enjoyed. But uh, I believe that the greater application here, <clears throat> the greater application is not the natural nation of Israel. It's, as we see there in, uh, in verse 1, for Zion's, Zion's sake, for uh, the kingdom of God and for the church here in the New Testament. And God saw fit to love a people before the foundation of the world. We, we fell in sin in Adam, and because of that, because of our own mistakes, because of our own sin, we were in a position of being forsaken and desolate, okay? But the Lord did not want to leave us in that condition. He saw fit to love us uh, when we were in an ugly, ugly state, okay? And I want to come back to that, because that's really, you have to understand... You have to understand total depravity before you can see the beauty of grace, right? You have to understand how, how ugly and defiled this bride was to see the amazing love of Christ exhibited that he saw fit to love this bride. But in our own sin, we were forsaken and desolate. But the Lord said, I'm not going to leave my people in that state. I'm not going to leave them... As the people, you see here, the, uh, the people are described as forsaken, and the land is called desolate, okay? The people are forsaken, and the land is desolate. And that's certainly the description of this world um, after the curse of sin. It's desolate, you know? Uh, thorns and thistles come up now, and we got to work really hard to get food out of that ground. That's not how God made it, but now this land is desolate. But... The, you're going to be forsaken, but, but my people are no longer going to be forsaken. But instead, thou shalt, he's talking about the people there, thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and in thy land, Beulah. So we've been given Beulah land and the kingdom of God and in the church. Praise God for that, right? The land that's married, we have the privilege of fellowship with our beloved husband in the church and in the kingdom of God and Beulah land, um, and we praise God for that. But <clears throat> the word Hephzibah really struck a tone with me yesterday as I listened to that message, Hephzibah. And that word means, <clears throat> if you have a center column reference, uh, you may have this alternate wording for that Hebrew word, Hephzibah. It says, my delight is in her. My delight is in her. And that is just amazing to think about. And I just want to let that sink in for a minute, okay? I want us to meditate about that and on that together. Christ's delight is in you. It's in the church. Despite all of her shortcomings. I mean, the, the, the bride had a lot of problems before God saw fit to choose her. But I tell you, the bride's got a lot of problems today too. Main reason is because I'm a part of the bride. <laughs> you know, I hope that you can see, especially as we hopefully with solemnness. But I don't. I don't really. <laughs> there's a balance. There's a balance. I don't. I don't want you to approach. Um, I don't want you to always approach the Lord's table with with solemnness and fear. You know, we're not approaching under Mount Sinai. Um, yes, it was a heavy. Thing 
and a just brutal suffering that Jesus endured on our behalf. But when you partake of that wine, I, I don't want you to, to view that wine solely as the suffering blood of Jesus. I want you to see that as the wine of joy because of what has been partaken of, okay? Well, for, because of what he's done. This, this is not a commemoration of, of, it's a remembrance of his death. It's not a commemoration. It's a commemoration of his love, okay? His sacrifice on our behalf is the greatest expression of God's love that we could ever see here in this world. And when we approach the Lord's table in communion, I want us to think about God's magnitude of love toward us, to where he sent his son to die for us. But on a day-in, day-out basis, his delight is the church. That is amazing, right? He is the sovereign God of this universe and, and this despicable state that the elect were in that the bride was in before the foundation of the world and he saw fit to love her anyway in spite of all of her shortcomings but his his focus his delight every single day is the bride of Christ even when we mess up even when we make mistakes and he's not always happy with the bride if you kind of bear with me and let me mix metaphors a little bit uh, he he sometimes has to chasten us as children because we make mistakes. But every time that he does that, he's doing that with the intention and the focus of love to make sure that they, I see them going down a path that they're going to make a that they're going to make shipwreck of their life. And because I love them so much, I'm going to do the hard thing of discipline. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do things that that you know he. he it, God didn't look down from heaven and say, man, I can't wait to destroy Jerusalem. You know, I can't wait to pour that. No, it took that severity to get his people's attention because they were so, they were so deluded. But even in the midst of him suffering that to happen, his intention was always the love and the best interest of his children and his bride. And he delights in us every single day. Why would he... Pay attention to us at all, right? Why would he love us at all? But on a day, all the activities of heaven, his delight, his focus is on us. He is intimately aware and intimately involved about every single action that is occurring in the body of Christ with his bride. And he rejoices over us. I mean, uh, In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the glory of God and his train fill the temple, the, the amazing manifestation of the Shekinah glory. He was in the presence of Almighty God. And his response to that was not to say, <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum, uh, those three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw the Lord high and lifted up, and they said, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> it, it's a really good thing for us to be. Let's help you out. Let's, let's build three temples. Uh, Isaiah said, he didn't say, boy, it's really good for me to be here. He said, I got no business being on this holy ground. <laughs> he says, woe is me. Woe is me because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I, I'm a, a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
And I feel totally inadequate of the presence and the love of Almighty God because when the more God is manifested in our life and, and manifested in worship, our view of ourselves should always continually be diminished. He must increase, but I must decrease. You know, Job got, he started out really good. He responded to those early trials early on, but the miserable comforters came and they started blaming him. And he's a man of like passions, just like we are. And you know what? Somebody starts blaming you and saying, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. And all this is happening because of, you are a dirty, rotten sinner, but all this is happening because of things you've done. Any man's going to get upset. And then he started arguing back and forth. And the next thing you know, by the end of it, he's saying some things he should not have been saying. He got too self-righteous. And then the Lord shows up in a whirlwind and said, where were you at, Job? <laughs> where were you at when I created the earth? Who do you think you are? <laughs> I mean, let's get down to brass tacks. He, he said, who do you think you I'm God. You're man. You're nothing. And what, what did Job say by the end of that? I should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I abhor myself. I when God manifested the, the power of his glory, I'll tell you what man didn't say. He didn't say, I sure am glad I decided to follow Jesus. I sure am glad I accepted Jesus. They fell down and said, I am a wretched sinner. I abhor myself, okay? And you need to understand how unworthy you are. And I say understand it. You know, it's a lifetime pursuit. That's the, that's the prayer of every pastor, in Ephesians chapter 3, I want you to know better the love of God, the height, the breadth, the depth, which passeth knowledge. We can't understand it here on this side of eternity, on this side of eternity but I want you to know more about it. Because the, the more clearly you see the love of Jesus, the more zealous and fervent you are to love other people, to exhibit his love toward the body. But the, um, the church is Jesus' delight. I mean, it makes sense that we would rejoice over him, right? It makes sense that he would be our delight. But despite all of our shortcomings, how could we be his delight? It doesn't make any sense, right? We sure don't deserve it. That's called grace. Of course we don't deserve it. But it doesn't make any sense that God would... I'll tell you, we, I hope we can have the right picture of the bride in, the, in our sinful, defiled, fallen state before the world began. But most of Christianity has a really wrong view of that bride, right? And for some reason, they're offended because God didn't choose everybody. Look, if, you, if you're offended because God didn't choose everybody, you don't have the right vision of that bride. And I'll tell you the main reason you don't have the right vision of that bride, you're not spending enough time in the manifest power, presence, and glory of Almighty God. Because <laughs> the more time that you spend in His presence, you're not going to look higher and higher and higher upon that, that bride that was chosen you're going to say, God would have been, if my soul were sent to hell, thy righteous law proves it well. I mean, that would have been the right thing to do. But because God is so gracious, he saw fit to love us in spite of ourselves. To try to be expedient, we're going to skip much of my thoughts, but I want to go to the Song of Solomon. <clears throat> I want to go to the Song of Solomon. <clears throat> And look at the way that Jesus views us. You know, a few years ago we went through this book, and those messages are still on Macedonia's website. If you ever listen to go back, and I'm sure y'all remember everything I preached about three years ago, right? Probably don't need to go listen to it again, but just in case you want to, uh, they're on our website. But um, this is a great romance between Solomon and, 
and the Shulamite maid. But this is, this is broad, the whole Bible. The whole Bible is Jesus declaring his love for his bride. But it's expressed in very specific, poignant, romantic terms in the, in the Song of Solomon. And this Shulamite maid, she understands her unworthiness, okay? Solomon goes down to this vineyard in the middle of the summer, and, and uh, he, <clears throat> I don't necessarily know, it certainly appears it was probably earlier on in his life before he uh, got deceived by all these strange women and became apostate and worshiping false gods, but um, he, he had probably... I think we can reasonably say he, he probably had some other wife at this time, okay? But they weren't his true love. But he goes down and he sees this beautiful Shulamite maid, and he sees fit to bestow his love upon her. And in her, in her mind... Why in the world would the king, who has everything, I mean, it's just unreal to think all the riches that were at the disposal of, of Solomon in that day, everything he has at his disposal, why in the world would this good, godly, wisest man on the face of the earth, king, bestow his love upon me? So she says, at the beginning of this, verse 5, I'm black but comely. I, I am, I'm inadequate. And that's a beautiful picture of us in our totally depraved state, right? We're black and we're dark. I'm black but comely. You daughters of Jerusalem as the tents of Kedar, look not upon me. I mean, I'm not even worthy of your gaze. You're, you're the king. You've got bigger business. Don't look upon me because I'm, I'm black. Because the sun hath looked upon me. And I'm, I'm just a lowly farmer's girl. I'm, I'm not worthy of the love of the king. But notice, you have this, this back and forth and the quick shifts in narrative between the husband and the bride here in Song of Solomon. But notice how Jesus, how Solomon, but our greater Solomon, views his bride. And we were in our wretched, deplorable state and sin before the world began. But we make mistakes every single day. We don't have time to go to Ezekiel 16, and he, he chose out that, that child that had been cast out into the field with the loathing, loathing of thy person. Nobody cared about you. Nobody cared. It's just a dead, stillborn child. But I, I passed by, and I said, live. And, I, and then it depicts that marriage, but you want to know our response to that? You want to know about what happened by the end of it? She's committing adultery and fornication, and, and she's being unfaithful. You have the picture of Hosea that's called upon to, uh, you know, we're praying for a godly wife, and I, Hosea probably was for a long time, and the Lord said, all right, I got somebody for you. Go marry a, a woman of the whoredoms. And not only is, are you going to have to marry her, and, and I'm sure she's going to be so gracious that she'll never do that again. No, she goes back into that former life. He's got to go get her again. And you look at that and be like, man, Hosea had a really tough road to hoe. That's the church. That's the story of the whole Old Testament. <laughs> That's the story of the whole Old Testament. God's so good to us. He blesses us beyond measure. He displays his love in a way that we can't even comprehend. And we take it for granted and we sin and we forsake him. And then he calls us to repentance. 
He draws us back to him, and we're good for a little bit when things are easy and things are peaceful, and then things get a little bit too peaceful, and then we repeat the whole process all over again. That's the story of the Old Testament. <laughs> but that's not the story of the Old Testament. That's just the story of God's people. It's the story of us, okay? So, we really don't have time to, to go into all these portions of Song of Song, but he goes through every body part of his bride. And he talks about her mouth. Your, your lips, your lips are beautiful. Well, think about the body of Christ. Is our speech always honoring to our husband? No, no, it's not. Our speech is not always honoring to Jesus Christ. Our, our hands, our feet, the actions that our hands undertake, the, the places that we go, our feet are not always honoring it, but you want to know how he views us? <laughs> you want to know how he views us? He views us in verse 8, O thou fairest among women. You're, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> how does he view us that way? Well, it's based on the covenant of redemption before the world began, right? Romans chapter 8. Predestination, calling, justification, glorification. You are viewed in the eyes of God in that past tense, glorified state. In Ephesians chapter 5, he said he chose out the church to be holy and without blame before him in love, to be washed and sanctified. He views the bride. He views the bride in her perfect state. And because he views her in her perfect state, he's willing to do what's necessary for her sanctification here in time, okay? You know, he was willing to go, and he was not forced. When the world began, he had perfect knowledge, and he knew everything that was going to happen there in its natural suffering and being forsaken on the tree of the cross. He knew everything that was going to happen. But you want to know how Jesus viewed that sacrifice? Boy, it was tough, right? It was tough. The Lord forsook him. But you know how he viewed it? For the joy that was set before him. You want to know why it was the joy that was set before him? Because he loved this dirty, defiled, sinful bride so much that you know what? To use kind of Paul's language, it's but a light affliction. It's but a light affliction. Because I love the bride so much. And I hope that when you hear the elect and God's people, please make that personal, okay? God loved you individually. I, I know all of you here in this room, and I've seen the fruit of the Spirit in every one of your life. God loved you individually enough to send his only begotten son. The depth of love that he had toward his son, and he sent his son for you. And you are his delight. I'm gonna let that sink in. You individually are his delight. He rejoices over you. You were the joy that was set before him. And if that can't motivate you, we've been going through the book of Acts. A great summary of everything we've been trying to consider in the book of Acts is that is the church in its first love. First love. These are the actions of the church in its first love. A whole generation later, the church had ceased 
from those actions of its first love. At least the church in Ephesus had. And the more we love Jesus Christ, the more we see his love toward us, and the more we love him, every other action and attribute that we've been trying to consider in the book of Acts, they all flow naturally from a greater love from Jesus Christ. And where's, where's the greater love from Jesus Christ come from? We need to be continually reminded of the magnitude of God's love toward us. Amen? So he views her, you know, the bride as they sit today, um, her mouth does not always express praise and gratitude toward the husband. The feet don't always go where they need to. The hands don't always do what they ought to do. Um, but when he looks at her, when he looks at this bride, and he describes each of those body parts, he goes up and down, top to bottom, and then bottom to top. When he views his bride, he views her as the fairest among women. He views her in that glorified state. And because he sees her in that state, he's willing to do the hard work of some of the necessary sanctifying work here in time when that bride makes mistakes. <clears throat> I've kind of mentioned this here and there uh, a few different times, but <laughs> I'm sure those angels for all of eternity have been so confused in heaven. <laughs> um, it says that they desire to look into these, they desire to look into the gospel and, and you know, they don't have, the angels don't have the amazing love and passion for the bride that God does. Instead, they know God's holiness and they also can see very clearly the bride's shortcomings. I mean, the whole purpose of angels is essentially for God to send angels down into heaven to get us out of messes we've made, okay? Even if we haven't uh, made, um, making a sinful decision, the Lord still sends angels in his providence to get us out of trouble just because we're in a fallen world that's against us, right? I mean, the whole purpose of angels is to minister to the guys who messed it up, right? We messed it up. And then they... <laughs> The angel comes to heaven and he just has dealt with, you know, this person has made these horrible decisions. And he goes and he ministers to them and, you know, he comes back up to heaven for his next assignment. And then he's like, surely I'm going to get a good one today. And then, uh, and then he gets a worse one. And then he's like, these are the guys. This is the bride that Jesus has been bragging about in heaven for all of it. These guys. That all they do is mess up and God, my whole job, my whole job of eternity is coming down and getting them out of messes that they've made. But Jesus has been bragging to his bride and uh, bragging about his bride in heaven for all of eternity. But there will come a day, there will come a day, that marriage supper of the lamb where that bride is now finally going to be in its perfect state, in its glorified state, in its perfectly washed and sanctified state. And it's at that moment when he comes back with those angels, then the angels will be able to understand, okay, I see. <laughs> I see it now. I see the beauty of that bride. But we're not sanctified yet. 
but we are still his delight. <laughs> we are still what he rejoices. I mean, I, I praise God for a great song, song service. You know, I, I hate to say my misunderstanding of song service in my younger days, and uh, I didn't feel Jesus Christ in the song service, and that, that's to my own shame. I wasn't as attentive as I should have been. But there's not going to be any need for preaching in heaven. There's not going to be any need for praying in heaven. You know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be singing. We're going to be singing. And Jesus sings right there along with us. And it says, uh, I think it may be in, in Malachi, that we rejoice over him with singing, right? But he rejoices over us with singing. <laughs> I mean, that just doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense that in our current state, now, I mean, I, I can see maybe when we're glorified, but in our current state, he rejoices over us with singing. I mean, he's worthy of, of praise and honor and glory. He's worthy of, of us blowing on our vocal cords. And anytime we have an opportunity, making joy, melody in our heart. But he rejoices over us with singing? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. We're just so thankful that we believe it to be true. <laughs> There's a lot of things that don't make sense, right? I mean, I can't understand the Trinity. I can't understand how, I can't understand how God died on the cross. I, I, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but I believe it by faith. I can feel this testimony of the Spirit of God in my heart that He lets me know in my heart that He loves me. I can feel that, and I hope you can feel that too. But we need to be reminded of just how unworthy we are. And I, I can't preach it the way I want to. I just hope the Holy Spirit can minister to you to have you a little bit more understand. I mean, we, the purpose of worship, the purpose of us coming together, we want to be encouraged, we want to be refreshed. But the purpose of us coming together and fellowshipping and, and having this remembrance, it's not just to, to meditate upon the death of Jesus Christ and the love that was exhibited during this, this time that we partake of the Lord's Supper and you know, we're, we feel that his presence then, and then we just go to work the next day and we act the same way we did before. The purpose of worship, the purpose of this remembrance is so that your actions tomorrow are different than they were yesterday. That's the purpose, okay? And I pray that the Holy Spirit can minister to us in such a way that we can understand the great magnitude. God so loved the world Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And allow that love to permeate and radiate and overflow our hearts to where it changes the way that we show love to somebody else the next time. Because guess what? You want to know who you're called to love? People who don't deserve it. That's the only category, right? I mean... God only had one choice of who to save. His only choice were sinners. That's it, okay? You want to know the only people who you're called to love? People who don't deserve it. And we need to be reminded of how much we don't deserve God's love toward us, and we pray that we can allow that agape love of the Holy Spirit to flow through us as we're then called to love others according to His will and according to His word. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. 
Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.